So we go forward in verse 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with the pitch. And this is how you will make it. Now the rest of verse 15 in the chapter are the details of how the ark was to be built. So God said to Noah, you're going to build this ark, and this is how you're going to do it. So he called him to something, and then he gave him the details on how to do it. But as we look at these verses specifically tonight, verses 9 through 15, part 1, we think of the days of Noah and what Jesus said. And we think about the life and the legacy of Noah. And it's hard not to think of our generation and our timeline and the world that we live in. For again, we saw in those previous verses that I summarized that we covered in detail Tuesday night, 120 years are man's years before it's done. He revealed the hearts of men. The Lord was grieved and Noah found grace. And that pretty much describes our planet this day for who we are as a human race with 8 billion people moving toward a total global government and the pluralization of all, all things that would seem to be the elevation of humanity, but it's the elevation of humanity against God, like the Tower of Babel that we'll get to. For in the end, it's mystery Babylon, and it's the global government and a false world religion rejecting the reign of Christ over the planet before Christ comes for his church and then with his church to establish his reign on the planet. The founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, Pastor Chuck Smith, believed firmly and definitively that the return of Christ was imminent. The leaders who are with them that are still alive, like Mike McIntosh and Raul Reese and Jeff Johnson and Greg Laurie, I can attest firmly, emphatically believe that the return of the Lord is imminent. Billy Graham, the great evangelist, preached with such fervency for over 60 years because he believed the return of the Lord Jesus Christ was imminent. In fact, one of his favorite passages to preach on time and time again was the days of Noah. That was Billy Graham's go-to message for decades in his crusades. He often talked about the time of Noah and comparing it to his generation. So many great women of God this day and women of God in previous generations and men of God in previous generations and men of God of this day believe the return of the Lord is imminent in a moment. We're right there. And I believe the same. And it's good you come to a church where the pastor believes that the Lord Jesus Christ could return any moment and believes he really is going to return any moment. But it's an interesting thing to compare us to the days of Noah because Noah lived for almost, well, he lived 600 years approximately before the judgment came. Enoch walked with God and was taken out six centuries before the end, which is an amazing thing to consider. But we harmonize that with Second Peter, which we talked about last week, that the Holy Spirit says to Peter, one day is as a thousand years with the Lord. We're living in this timeline that's linear, but he's outside of it, and he calls things within it before they happen. What may seem to us the obvious, it could go on. It's really hard to think, like, how could our society and our planet go on the way it's going? I mean, it just, 
distrust of nations and perplexity of nations, it's, it's so profound when we just consider the news of, and the manipulation of the news in our timeline and where this planet's going. It's hard not to believe that, of course, the only way out is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man's not going to solve his problems. The Antichrist will come and bring a pseudo-peace to appear to solve the problems, but he'll only be doing what he's led to do with all the power of Satan. He will destroy humanity and bring it to the cusp of total annihilation before Jesus Christ comes back. Because Jesus said, unless those days had been shortened, no flesh would have made it through. And that's what Satan has for the planet. So we may be a minority here tonight, and we might be the narrow gate, but we are the way, the truth, and the life. And like Noah building an ark, we are building our faith in this gathering here tonight. So let's think about Noah. What kind of man was he? What kind of women and men should we be? Because we're going to pull from his time and think about ours. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation, and he walked with God. He was complete. He, he was the real deal. I mean, obviously, he wasn't perfect in the sense of Jesus Christ being perfect, sinless, but he was solid. It is interesting, thousands of years later, when God is speaking to the prophet Ezekiel at a very dark time in Jewish history, he said, though Noah, Job, and Daniel would plead for this generation, those righteous men, I would not answer that cry for this generation. It's a very unique passage, a similar one where God would say of Abraham, he's my friend. You know, you, if you read the scriptures and you pay attention to what you're reading, you, you get certain things that really get your attention in their significance, especially when God is speaking. When God was speaking at one of the darkest times in the covenant he had with Israel, in the captivity, he references three men. Daniel, who was alive at that time. Job, who preceded that time by 1,500 years. And Noah, who preceded that time by 2,000 plus years. God, just having a conversation with the prophet Ezekiel. Noah, Job, Daniel. One who's alive, thousand years back, thousand years back. Noah made the cut when God's just having a casual conversation with the prophet and is just going to drop three names. Noah, Job, Daniel. And by the way, on the reliability of Adam, Job talks about Adam in his book. And Job is the oldest book of the Bible, preceding the books of Moses and Genesis by 500 plus years. Job talks about Adam. And the thing that God talks about Noah, Job, and Daniel, he says they were righteous men. They had a right standing. They were right before God. So when Noah says here by the Holy Spirit in Genesis, Noah was a just man with the harmony of Scripture from Ezekiel the prophet and the Holy Spirit, He's a righteous man. And we know that all righteous men and women of the old and currently are made righteous through our faith in Jesus Christ. We have a positional righteousness before God through faith in who he is and what he's done, just like Abraham. But there is a practical righteousness. There is integrity and character like the book of Proverbs talks about or what kind of women we ought to be and what kind of men we ought to be. He was just, he was a good man. He was a good person on an evil planet. He walked a consistent and straight way when the paths of most 
were crooked. In fact, they were all crooked. Unless you consider maybe Methuselah, the, the son of Enoch who walked with God. If Methuselah walked with God and his death is the end of the age and the flood followed it. Because remember, we talked about Methuselah, who lived longer than anyone else, was a son of Enoch. And Enoch got saved when Methuselah was born. That's when he, be, he gave his life to the Lord. We read that in Genesis 5. And Methuselah died the same year as the flood. So it's possible that his passing was the last restraint, because like it says in Second Thessalonians, there's something restraining the Antichrist and the evil on this planet, and that restraint is the Holy Spirit working through the church. But once the church is out, there's no restraint, and the judgment comes. Or as it says in First Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, we're not children of dark, but we're children of the day, and God's not appointed us to wrath. So we live, and there's a generation called up without experiencing death because they're children of the light. They walk in the light. Noah, in contrast, though, to Enoch, Enoch was taken out before he would have lived to see this timeline. But Noah went through it. Noah went through it. See, we saw last week that Enoch walked with God. Enoch prophesied. We looked at that passage in the book of Jude. He was bold. He spoke out against the ungodly and the wickedness of his day. But he was transferred. He was Enoch was caught up to be with God without tasting death. That's what God had for Enoch. But Noah, he walked with God, and he had to go through it. You ever wonder sometimes why God chose to make us alive at this time? I do. You ever wonder, like, why couldn't we have been alive in the 1800s or the 1700s? We always think the old days are better. I mean, oh, if we could have been there when D.L. Moody was preaching in Chicago or Charles Finney's revivals or these sorts of things that we might think about. But it says that Noah was perfect in his generations. See, Noah walked with God in his generation, and we get to walk with God in ours. And since we know that God predetermined our boundaries, our gender, and when we would live, that's by his choice. We have self-determination over what we choose to do with our life and how we choose to live our life, but we certainly do not have self-determination in when we were conceived in the womb and what ethnicities and the uniqueness of the millions of details of our DNA that make us who we are. That was determined by God in his universe and how he set it up. You know, Jesus knows the hairs on our head, so he knows the distinction of that. His character, he was a man of character. He was... Just man in his generation. We're also told through his life and building of the ark, he actually condemned his generation. His obedience to the Lord's calling on his life through faith, because he is in Hebrews eleven seven for faith. But every day he built that ark, it sealed the condemnation of the planet for rejecting the refuge and the escape of that ark and what it represented, the government of God over their lives. And his generation refused that government. For the only ones that went on that ark were his wife and his sons and his daughters-in-laws. Which, by the way, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty successful crusade through your lifestyle. That your whole family went on the ark with you. In his generation, his character, his influence on his family, his choices, and his example. If it is correct that he built the ark for 120 years which is possible. Now, let, first of all, the ark is as provable mathematically with physics, math, and geometry of every species. You can go on 
Institute for Christian Research, Anderson Genesis, you can Google that stuff and see for yourself. It was no problem to get all the species on the ark. So just put that there right there. And of course, it's a global flood. We know that. Jesus said that. The Father says it. The Holy Spirit says it. It's a global flood. Just have fun with yourself Googling. See how many cultures believe in a flood of some sort, like every one of them. Like pretty much any culture of any significance at any time in human history and all, even the Darwinists put man's organized man, as we know man, at about 6,000 years ago in the Fertile Crescent and all the societies on every continent, advanced dialects, limited dialects with vowels or just consonants or uh, uh, duck, 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 like the Akas, everybody's got a flood story. Everybody's got a flood. Might be regional, might be global. They all got original man. I've told you this, an original man, a flood, and dragons with men, which, of course, dinosaurs were with men. We're all created at the same time. They were wiped out in the flood, except for the ones on the ark. And in a post-flood world, they made it for a while. And that's why there's drawings all over the world of men fighting dragons like Teddy Roosevelt went to Africa to go kill all these big animals. Guys like Teddy Roosevelt have been around a long time. Go find the biggest dragon, you get the prettiest girl in the village. There's nothing new under the sun. Original man, flood, men and dragons. You can Google it. It's all there. So he walked with God in this pre-flood world, different kind of world, but still our timeline, time, space, and matter, or as Pastor Chuck would say, time, space, and material, Time, space, and matter. He's a good man. A man of character, a man of integrity. He did what was right with God. Not because his neighbors did, but in spite of the fact that his neighbors didn't. He did what was right because it was the right thing to do. He was the man with a just scale in his business practices. He was a man who was fair and loving and kind and firm and consistent as a parent. He's a man that would have loved his wife the way he was intended. Otherwise, he wouldn't be a just man. He was not a perfect man, but he was a good man. And his integrity influenced his family, those closest to him. And we can take that to heart. That's a great example for us. Because we make choices... And believe me, you older people know exactly what I'm going to say. You live with your choices. When you're moving in on 60, you are what you are. And you've made choices, for better or for worse. And the things that are good about you are good choices, and the things that are bad are the ones you're trying to fix before you don't know what year it is, and someone's taking care of you. It's that simple. Early 40s, my neighbor's having a 40th birthday party today. Knocked on the door and said we can have a DJ next door. 40th birthday. I said, good for you. I said, congratulations. Jennifer said, you didn't say happy birthday. Hey, halfway through it, congratulations. You made it to halftime. You know, days of man are 70 by measure of strength, 80. Moses, Psalm 91. Congratulations, you're 40. Don't worry about the DJ board. You've heard mine, so we're good. Right? It's all good. When you're younger, you have great opportunity to make greater choices. Pastor Greg Glory from Harvest Crusades used to say this, that if you set your ship on the right course, it'll stay that course. But if early on in your journey you get slightly off course, the farther you get in your journey, the more off course you are. So we might leave 
Marina del Rey charting a navigation to the Big Island. And if we just get a little bit off course, you know, 100 miles past Catalina, Cortez Banks or whatever, and we keep sailing off course, we're going to end up in Tahiti or the America Samoas. And so my encouragement for younger people here is stay the course, be on the right course in restudying the life of the great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor. I'm just reminded how as a teenager, when he gave his life to the Lord, he disciplined himself much like a Navy SEAL before they're a Navy SEAL. He put himself, he changed his diet to a very bland and simple diet. It's amazing. This is 1840, no, 1850, eliminating dairy and sugars. He couldn't afford the $20 to study the Mandarin language but he found certain things he could get for minimal price and he memorized over 50, excuse me, over 500 figures of the Mandarin language to prepare himself. In his late teen years, he he served in the poorest parts of of London or in his community as a pharmacist assistant. And he never once asked for money. He always took it to the Lord, much like George Mueller, who of course became one of his supporters, much like Pastor Chuck. See, he learned early on to establish in his character, principles of faith, and how he was going to live his life. So for you younger people, I tell you, make those, draw those lines and have those boundaries to your own benefit and hold fast to them and don't capitulate them or compromise them based upon temptation, your flesh, the devil, and the world. But hold those lines. And for us older people, I take hope that his mercies are new every day and we can reboot call a timeout, and reset that plumb line. And we have the breath of life, and we have a future and a hope with that breath of life. And while we may not be who we want to be at 40 or 50 or 60, we're still alive, and we can really set that plumb line and redeem what's there in front of us, whether it be many years or few years, but we can be the best we can be. But Noah was just in his generation and he was perfect in his generation and he walked with God and that is something that we can take from his life and aspire to through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and submission to the Holy Spirit we also see his generation I talked about this earlier but just to seal this a little more Noah's life was a contrast to his culture and generation the church the body of Christ has always been a peculiar thing to the world now Back in the Reformation era with state churches like the Lutheran Church in Germany and the Swiss Reformers with Zwingli and those guys, Calvin, and the Church of England, Mary Tudor and all of them, the church was with government. So that doesn't really count, but the evangelical church like the Morovians, the early missionaries, and the Anabaptists and you know these people that came to our country like the Pilgrims and the Quakers and... Amish and those, these, they're all kind of descendants of the Anabaptists and they're peculiar people. And as missionaries went out in the 1800s to the South Pacific from America and the Western world, England particularly in America, we've always been peculiar people. The church is a peculiar people. The apostles were peculiar people. Look at the early church in the book of Acts, like how contrary they were to the Greek Roman culture. The church is always a contrast we are the light. Jesus is the light of the world, and we are the light of the world. And as the moon reflects the sun, so we reflect the sun. S O N. 
and we're salt and we're light. And we're always going to be a minority. We're never going to be a majority. The whole idea in the 80s of the moral majority is just, a, 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 it's a head scratcher. It's an enigma. It's a riddle that politically people would say that the Church of Jesus Christ was the moral majority. There might have been a moral majority in America as how people voted in a political bloc in the you know, early 80s or something. But if you separate churchgoers from being born again, there is no moral majority. Jesus said, narrow is the gate that leads to life and few enter thereby. Only Noah and his family got on that ark. So we establish our own character, our own integrity, and our own convictions, and we let them influence our household, our immediate sphere, and we live that life And while everyone else is making certain decisions and compromises of ethics and morality and evil and ungodly and corruption, because what did it say of Noah's day here? Corruption and violence, which of course, there's a whole Bible study, but it's pretty negative, so let's skip that one. But let's touch on it. Corruption and violence. Human, Human history is corruption and violence. And this planet right now is filled with corruption at the highest level from the global bankers to the globalist. It is absolute corruption at the highest level geopolitically throughout this planet. At all levels, all the players, our country, Russia, China, the EU, the Latin countries, corruption? Oh, we are not immune to corruption. America's as corrupt as they've come. We just have happened to have a really good run with salt and light of the body of Christ influencing this part of the planet for centuries for good to benefit the whole country. But look at us now. It's a boiling stew of corruption and violence at all levels. Whether we're committing massive genocide through emphasize or people shooting everybody everywhere. Corruption and violence. And it's not just this country. It's a planet. We're always going to be a contrast. And so they imprison believers all over China right now, and they're shutting down all the churches, even the state churches that don't even believe the gospel. We're always going to be a contrast, WG, body of Christ. And we're always going to be a minority. But that contrast is critical. That contrast is critical. Because light and darkness have no ambiguity between them. There's light and there's darkness, and we are children of the light through faith in Jesus Christ. And we don't want to be considered in darkness. We're in the world, but as the bumper sticker says, we are not of the world. We are the light of the world, and we let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven, who is the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow or turning. There has to be a contrast. We are not of this world, and we are a contrast. Super important that the distinction's there. There needs to be a distinction. We are peculiar people with great promises, and our home is heaven, and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live like citizens of heaven and shine like citizens of heaven. And we're to be women and men who are not corrupt and not filled with violence, and we are contrast and we are different than the world. And the Holy Spirit affirms this time and time again 
in the New Testament, as of course Jesus Christ did. He said, we're the light, and we're not to be hid, like a city on a hill were to shine. And so Noah was a contrast. And that contrast creates challenges and problems with your coworkers, your neighbors, your family, your friends, your acquaintances. It does. Sometimes you think, maybe you've had this, where you think, this is really weird, but why is this happening to me? Like, I was excluded from this and everyone else is involved. And you just wonder, like, is it because I didn't get the memo? Or is this just, like, dumb luck? Or was this done purposely to exclude me or exclude you? I guess in some cases we'll never know. But if you're shining for the Lord, there are times you will be left out. There are times you will be persecuted. There are times you will be falsely accused. There are times people will not like you, not because humans just don't like each other, but they're not going to like you because you're linked and yoked with Noah and his family. Because you're building an ark when everyone else is filled with corruption and violence. Every day Noah went to work on that ark, it drew that distinction. And every day, and he, it wasn't like he was trying to condemn his neighbors. But the more they resisted the invitation, the more they were given over to their corruption and violence. And this planet is going to get worse down the stretch. That's what the Holy Spirit says. Because in this last purifying sequence of human history in the church age, there's a church that's going to be purified and they're not going to taste death. And they're going to be called up and called out. And that which restrains is going to be removed. And then the Antichrist with all the power of Satan, will have full power on this planet. And they might blame our disappearance on aliens. It might be our children. It might be our children's children or our children's 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 children. Who knows? But at some point, a generation of the church is going to see the apex of corruption and violence and be called out, and this planet's going to be given over. And that's what happened here. It's okay to be a contrast. Don't take it personal. And remember what Jesus said, blessed are you when men and women persecute you for righteousness sake and blessed are you when you're persecuted for his name's sake. And it's hard when you see in the news people that represent the Lord or love the Lord viciously, vehemently, and ruthlessly attacked verbally through social media and stuff like that or just news or fake news or real news or whatever. But in this country, mostly it's just trying to make the church just irrelevant. That's the tactic of the devil right now, is to make us a laughing stock and irrelevant. You're such a joke building your ark, believing in the return of the Lord. There's no place. See, the globalization and the global government has no place for the church, and you don't want to be a part of that. We want to shine in it until, until we're called up. But each day Noah built that ark, his family was solidified in their faith. And each day he built that ark, his neighbors were strengthened in their condemnation before the Lord because they refused his witness and they refused his example and they refused his message. And his family became joint heirs with him of the kingdom promises, but the the neighbors in his society, they were condemned. They were condemned by their unbelief. Noah was saved by faith, Hebrews 11, 7 tells us. His faith was his righteous standing. And then the last thing we see is in verse 13 into 14, well, verse 14, that God said to him, make an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark and cover it, and this is how you will make it, verse 15. See, 
Noah was just in his generation. Noah's life was a contrast to his generation. And Noah had a divine calling and purpose in his generation. And this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. And maybe there's something you think about. But I've been thinking a lot lately about this stuff. That pastor's conference for the Calvary Chapel pastors last month, by every testimony of everyone there, was the best one since Pastor Chuck went to be at the Lord. And, you know, Mike and Don, these famous Calvary pastors, getting up and just sharing their heart with transparency about where they're at with the Lord, their families, the timeline of their life. And just talking about, like, this is our family, this is our tribe, this is the Calvary Chapel tribe. They all talked about finishing strong. You know, of course, Chuck's gone. Steve Mays, one of the originals, he's gone. He's with the Lord. And, you know, we're all up there crying, talking about having his strokes when he's teaching these, these seizures, not strokes, but seizures. And he says he feels them for about three seconds before they hit. He's got three seconds to back off the mic before he goes into, and he made fun of himself. He made fun of how he sounds. And I've heard him. Have you had him? Have you ever heard him? I was listening on the radio on a Sunday morning one morning. I heard him have one of his seizures. I was like, what's going on? And I pulled in the parking lot off Beach Boulevard at Albertsons and I prayed for Raw. I was like, what is going on? It was live on K-Wave. And he said, you know how humiliating it is for me to lose control like that? But it's what God has for me. Mike McIntosh talking about having to have to let the church go and finishing with faith, how he started $50, him and Sandy starting Horizon, going to San Diego with $50 with Chuck's blessing. And everyone's like, what's your retirement plan? He's like, my retirement plan is we're ending the same way we began. But I'll tell you this, if you sow into people love, they'll sow love back to you later on when you're old and you need it and you don't have any money in your bank. We never set out to sow 60 years so people would sow back into us, but in the last chapter of our life, we have nothing, and all those people we sowed into for 60 years sow back into us. He talked about the super volcano in Yosemite. He talked about the fault in Missouri. He talked about the fault line off of Oregon and meeting with the governor saying they're prepared for the end of the world in Oregon, in Portland. He talked about the Chinese and their Trident subs with their super nuclear missiles in the Persian Gulf. And he talked about living by faith. Because they realized God's not done with them and they had a divine calling and a purpose. And though Chuck's in eternity and Steve May's in eternity, they're not and God's not done. So if you have seizures in front of your congregation, praise the Lord, you have three seconds to recognize you're about to have one. And if you have no money, praise the Lord, you've sowed into people for 60 years and they sow back into you. There's a lot to learn from those that came before us who lived the life of faith, these men and their wives. We have a divine purpose. We may not be called to build the ark, but we are called to build our arks for the saving, for the demonstration of our faith and the saving of our household. Because we are saved with a purpose. We are saved by faith and that by grace and that through faith for his workmanship, Ephesians 2.10. And Raul's not done in Golden Springs. And Greg's not done with the Harvest Crusades, praise the Lord. And Mike's not done, and Don's not done. And Skip, and I'm not done. Chuck's done, Steve's done. Romaine's done. I know a lot of good people that are done, and so do you. They're gone, and they're not coming back. We need to build our arcs. Again, looking at Hudson Taylor and thinking about his life, and Elizabeth Elliot thinking about her life. I just think they, they had purpose. You know, she wrote all those books and all the heartache of her life, her husband's dying and all those things. But she wrote, she communicated through her life experiences from loneliness and through Gates of Splendor and, uh, you know, all these books she wrote on purity, passion and purity. And like, so her life experiences, that was her arc. She wrote all those books. Chuck, it was the Calvary Movement. Listening to all these Chuck studies from 40 years ago, like feeling like I was there. 
Hudson Taylor, like, how did he do it? Gosh, how did he do that? Where did you find that kind of fiber and that kind of faith? Now, that's an ark to build. He had nine children. Only four made it to adulthood. I grieve for one son. His wife died after a child labor in England on a furlough, and the baby she birthed died two weeks later. And he just go back and reload and bring more missionaries to inland China to preach to thousands of souls, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of souls who had never heard the gospel. It was an inland China mission. But you know, I leave you with this thought about Hudson Taylor. Of his four adult sons, excuse me, of his four adult children, all four of them served the Lord in the mission field. He prepared an ark for the saving of his house. I don't know the future, nor do you. We know what the Bible says about humanity and the end game. But this text reminds us to be good people with our own self-governed convictions before the Lord by his spirit. And we choose that every day, no matter what. This reminds us to stay the course and walk the steps in the path of integrity and conviction and faithfulness to the Lord. Personal responsibility. And it reminds us there is a distinction. There's going to always be a distinction. So why think it's strange? Through many tribulations, we must inherit the kingdom of God. And it reminds us that as Noah had purpose to build an ark, we have purpose. You and I, every one of us on this planet, whether we're in prison, when I went to the Voice of the Martyrs conference at Calvary Costa Mesa in February, and that woman got up, that small Chinese woman who had been in prison for six years for her faith, And she's in America telling the world about the persecutions and the need to pray and to lift up one another. When she walked by me, I was like, wow. She walked by me. She's like 5'1", 5'2", like Hannah's height, my daughter. She walked by me. I was like, whoa. Six years. That's her arc. To be faithful for Christ amongst the Chinese people for the global body of Christ. You don't know your arc. Maybe you do. Maybe you're building it. Maybe you're looking for it. Pick up your hammer and get on with it. If you've walked away from the ark, pick up your hammer and keep building. That's the lesson of Noah. Day after day, he fulfilled his divine purpose from God. And God said, do it this way. And he did it that way. So it's not just that we have a calling, but there's the details and specifics of how he wants it done. And I've been thinking a lot about that for my life in general, and as pastor of this church, part of the body of Christ, part of the Calvary Chapel movement. And I think it's good for all of us to be thinking about that. This chapter, this text reminds us that we're passing through and there's work to be done in adverse circumstances, but trusting in the Lord with our faith and our obedience.